to X. Um, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, we're at the end of the chapter, I kind of, uh, there's some times where I'm a little freaked out in teaching the Bible, actually a lot of times I'm freaked out because, you know, it's not my word, it's the Lord's word, but, uh, Sometimes I don't know what level of intensity I can, you know, turn things up. You know, do I, am I like low intensity? So like, you know, it's palatable for the body. Or do I turn it up just a little bit, you know, so it's a little easier pill to swallow? Or do I crank it up where it's just like, okay, this is like, you know, hardcore stuff. So this is one of those passages where I'm, I'm not really sure, like, you know, at what level. You know, and sometimes I'm a little bit nervous, too, because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. It's not that I want to mow over anybody's ideas that they have about how church ought to be. But it's to say, hey, no, let the word of God teach us. And what happens here in Acts chapter 2, you know, the past several weeks, we've been seeing the, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit. You know, and how the Holy Spirit, when the Lord says, you know, he ascends into heaven. But before he ascended, he told the disciples, hey, go into Jerusalem and wait there. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, when the tomb was empty and married the beautiful, beautiful women, all the men were scaredy cats. And these beautiful, tough women, you know, they were like not afraid. They could have been arrested by the, the priests. They could have been arrested by the Romans. And remember, Jesus Christ was just tortured. And the men were scaredy cats. And the women were just like, okay, if I die, I die. If they torture me, no big deal. Because I love Jesus Christ. I want to honor him, you know, and make these, you know, these ointments for his burial. And then they get there and the tomb is empty. Mary Magdalene, she sees a guy there. She doesn't realize it's the Lord. She sees a guy there. And she says, tell me where you've put his body. And then he speaks. And then she realizes, oh, it's the Lord. And so she holds on to him. And he tells her, Mary, you have to let go of me. Because I have not yet ascended to my father. And don't forget what he told the disciples. He told everybody, hey, when I go to my father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper. You know, and that's what we study here in Acts chapter 2. The Lord was faithful in sending the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, the Helper. And so here you see the Holy Spirit. And, you know, like, you know, the people thought they were drunk when the tongues of fire came and they started speaking in these other languages, a whole bunch of different languages. You see in Acts chapter two, verse uh, nine, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. It's not to say, hey, I'm going to speak in tongues and, you know, say like, you know, hey, look how awesome I am. It's to say, no, you know, it's uh, the wonderful works of the Lord is to speak of the things of heaven, the heavenly realm, the works of the Lord. And they were all amazed and they said, oh, these guys are just drunk. In verse 13 says, you know, they were they're, they're just full of new wine. You know, they were mocking. And you see beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Peter. He's no longer a scaredy cat. Remember, that's why, you know, the ladies, you know, when, you know, Mary Magdalene, when she sees Jesus Christ, the tomb was empty and the Lord tells her, hey, you know, like, don't hold on to me. Because I haven't yet ascended to my father. But go and tell your brothers. Go and tell the disciples. And then so she runs. And they didn't believe her. They're like, well, you're crazy. What is this? Even Thomas, he was like, even when Jesus Christ revealed himself to some of the other brothers, uh, uh, Thomas was like, you know, I'm not going to believe. Because when the Lord appeared in that room, Thomas wasn't there. 
And then so when Thomas returned, they said, hey, Thomas, you know, we saw the Lord. He returned. He says, you guys are crazy. I'm not going to believe you unless I put my finger in his side and I see with my own eyes. Eight days later, the Lord was there before them all. He says, hey, Peter, come here. Put your finger right here. And Peter believed. Peter believed. It's so powerful what happens here. And beautiful Peter, who is now revived by these beautiful women. Remember, the men were scaredy cats. And you have the ministry of these women who say, hey, no, you know, we're going to stand our ground. You go ahead and be a scaredy cat, but not me, not on my watch. And then Paul says, hey, we're not drunk. Since it's only the third hour of the day in verse 15. And he gives the gospel message. In verse 37 says, now when they were cut, or it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what truth does to you and to me and to everybody who hears the holy word of God. To be cut to the heart. And then they said, men and brethren, they said to the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like, whoa, this is so beautiful what's happening here. There's no laser light show, no rock concert, you know, nobody's speaking like they're a rock star. It's just straight up the Holy Spirit moving inside of Peter and the disciples and through the disciples. And now look what happens. He says, you know, in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3000 souls were added to them. Notice there's nothing fancy. No disrespect to the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing fancy like, you know, the, a rock concert, you know. Nothing fancy like a, a sales pitch. You know, salvation is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And he says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, a lot of times when you see the book of Acts, you're going to see, and I'm going to make special note of this, you're going to see the church, the bride, as one. One mind. Like in chapter 2, verse 1, it says they were all with one accord. One accord. It's not to say, hey, you know what? I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. A lot of times in churches today, a lot of pastors, they'll start to teach and they'll say this gifting of the Holy Spirit, this moving of the Holy Spirit, that was for that dispensation. They use all these words. And you have to like look up a dictionary. What in the world does dispensation mean? And they say, oh, it was for that time period. It was for 2,000 years ago. And all you have to do is say, okay, man of God, woman of God, whoever's telling you these things, where in the Bible is there an expiration date on what we read in the book of Acts? You will not find it. You will not find it at all. So it begs the question, how come you don't see the church today like the book of Acts? How come you don't see the power of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts? Me? What I say in my school of thought is to say, maybe the disconnect is inside of us. Maybe that's what the problem is. How come I don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Someone might ask you the question. Well, Maybe you need to get rid of your, your meth. Maybe you need to, you know, cut it out with your pornography. Maybe you need to stop beating on your wife and cheating on your wife. Repent. Maybe you need to yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And instead of being the old wineskin, instead of being so-called new wineskin with a bunch of holes, the new wine pours into you. And where does it go? It pours right out. Maybe you need to reckon the old man dead. 
Maybe you need to carry your cross. Remember, the cross is an instrument of death. You carry your cross. And you say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I used to be like that. Yeah, I used to like the crack pipe. Yeah, I used to do the, you know, snorting lines. Yeah, I used to be in the, in the, the sexual adventures kind of stuff. But you know what? That guy's dead. That woman is dead. A lot of times people like to play around with sin. Oh, yeah, God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and do this. God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and partake in this, partake in this, partake in this. Do all these disgusting things in accordance with the world. And on Sunday, everything's going to be fine and dandy. That's the disconnect. How can the Holy Spirit, how can the power of the Holy Spirit move like he moves in the book of Acts? When that happens. He can't. Because he can't do the work through me. He can't do the work through you when he's trying to do the work in me and in you. A lot of times people say, Lord, do the work through me. And then they try to go out and do all these things. And they, go, they call it ministry. It's to say, no, you know, you need to be on the receiving end first. I need to be on the receiving end first. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, Lord, you know, I'm empty before you. And then you see, you know, the Lord keeps filling and it's you're full, 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 not full of self. Full of another. And then all of a sudden you're so full that it starts to pour out. That's when the Lord does the work through you, not the way, not the other way around. And this is what's happening with the disciples. Don't forget, Peter was the guy who denied Jesus Christ. Three times. He was like, oh, you know, far be it from me, Lord. You know, when all these things happen, I'm going to be right there with you. And then Peter denied the Lord one time, two times, three times. And the third time, he threw some cuss words in there. You know, like the, the, like the people were like, hey, we saw you with Jesus Christ. Your voice, the vernacular you use, it, just, it betrays you. He says, okay, you think it betrays me? You know, I'm going to throw in some cuss words. And he started to curse. I do not know him. And when you read the Gospels in chronological order, Jesus Christ was just scourged and beaten. And he's all bloody. And right when he said that, the rooster crowed. And he looks up and he makes eye contact with Jesus Christ. And then he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And praise be to the Lord because you know what? He was broken before the Lord. That's why you see like Peter and then you see Judas. Both were cut to the heart. Except pride restricted Judas from falling to his knees. And pride will restrict you and me from falling to our knees. That's what pride does. I need to fall to my knees for what do I need to repent for I'm good to go that's a lie from the pit of hell don't listen to that voice don't listen to those voices remember the first question in the bible came from the serpent that serpent of old Beelzebub Lucifer Satan the devil who was a murderer from the beginning first question in the bible did God really say? You know, it's not to have the mindset of like, oh, you know what? I'm good to go. It's to have the mindset to say, no, Lord, my heart is here in your hands. Have your way with me. Then you see the moving of the Holy Spirit like a wildfire through the book of Acts. A wildfire. It's just like so crazy. And I don't mean any disrespect to the Lord to say crazy, but I mean like, it's wild. It's like, what in the world is happening here? 3,000 souls were added to them. And here in verse 42 of Acts 2 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And then, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done 
through the apostles. Remember, it's God in you and then through you. It's not the other way around. Because what happens when it's the other way around? You remember in in Matthew, um, I want to say 11. In Matthew 12, Jesus Christ was teaching. And he says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it be with this wicked generation. That's what happens when we attempt to have to do, to do a work of the Lord when the work of the Lord hasn't been done inside of you and inside of me. This is when you see people, it's like, you know, they attempt something, and everything looks fine, but then in the course of time, they fall. That's what happens. I'll take beautiful, beautiful little Princess Penny. Little Princess Penny. Very, very beautiful. And if you say it's, say it's like 11 o'clock at night. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night and you say, hey, Penny, you know what? I want a coffee. Can you go to Starbucks for me and get a cup of coffee? And she has to walk a mile to get it. You know how dangerous that would be for her to do it? To walk by herself. It'd be so, so, so dangerous. But then what if 20 years from right now, she knows she is very highly skilled in all kinds of, you know, fighting techniques, hand-to-hand combat. She has a concealed carries permit. You know, she has a pistol on her ankle, a pistol on her other ankle, a knife at her side, a pistol, you know, inside her jacket. You say, it's midnight. Say, Penny, I'm thirsty. Can you go get me a Coke, you know, or get me, you know, uh, you know, a drink, something to drink. You know, I want a coffee. Go to Starbucks and it's a mile away. And it's the other way around. Instead of being afraid for Penny, you're afraid for whoever comes across her. Don't mess with her. That's the concept that the Lord is teaching us here. And in that 20 years, that example of beautiful, beautiful Princess Penny, she has grown. Her legs got strong. Her back got strong. Her shoulders got strong. Her arms got strong. She became skilled in how to use weaponry and how to fight. That's when she's capable to do those things. But the exact same thing happens with you and with me. Because if it doesn't happen... If I don't mature, if you don't mature, verse 45 says, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. It's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. So many times people say, oh, that's just fairy tales what you believe. Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe Satan exists. Well, he's very real. Things in the demonic realm is very, very real. But who is able to use Holy Scripture as a weapon? As a shield? As a sword to put on the armor and the breastplate and the helmet? That's what we see in the book of Acts. And you see a church, you know, it's not a wild, it's not like a crazy church where, you know, people believe in, you know, oh yeah, I'm gonna, uh, let's uh, have these uh, transvestites be pastors. You know, let, let's uh, 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 do this homosexual marriage. Yeah, this guy is beating on his wife, but no big deal, God is love. There's this other guy who's cheating on his wife, but no big deal, God is love. Oh, it's okay. You believe in homosexual marriage? That's okay. You know, I believe in transvestite marriage. 
It's not to say a church with all kinds of different ideas. It's to say an entire church to say, no, we're in the mind of Christ. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. A unified church. A unified church. And all these things, you know, they continue in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. A lot of people today will say these signs and wonders that is mentioned here in verse 43, it's not for today, it was for back then. All you have to do is say, show me. Show me where there's an expiration date. And so in verse 44, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Translate says they were shared by all. Shared by all. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now I have to say a, a little personal uh, uh, disclaimer. I'm not a socialist. I do not believe in socialism. All you got to do is you know, look at Venezuela today. You know, and I don't want to get political, but if you look at 1980s Venezuela, look at 1990s Venezuela, and you see the introduction of socialism, and then you see socialism transition into, uh, 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 transition into communism, and that's what you see today. And I'm not a socialist. But here you see these things when it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. It was shared by all. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is beautiful. And inside the church, inside the bride of Christ today, and even back then, you see a lot of abuse. Abuse. You see it today. I mean, not to get political, but you see it today when people, you know, it's like, you know, oh, I'm going to claim disability. And then they go on disability. It's a lot of abuse. There was a lot of abuse in Paul's day. Because, you know, there's these concepts about sharing, you know, and, and having all things in common and dividing possessions. And then there was this problem that arose in the church in Thessalonica. Where people wrote a letter to Paul. Hey, Paul, there's this, you know, there's brothers here who are, you know, they're on the dole, but, you know, they're not doing anything. And Paul says, okay, if that's the case, hey, guys, if you don't work, you don't eat. There's abuse. And it's not to say, hey, look at this abuse, look at this abuse. It's to say, hey, look at what the word of God says. This is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Paul and Peter had to address the abuse. But right here you see the very early stages of the moving of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't change what the Word of God says. It doesn't change it at all. There were, you know, in the early church, there was something that arose. And I think it's kind of interesting in regards to the nature of warfare. How Satan will twist ideas and twist concepts. Like a motor is running, finely tuned motor, and you take something and you throw it in the motor and mess it all up. But you know, there's a different kind of family that is being established here. You know, we all have our worldly families. You know, you take blood samples and you say, okay, your DNA says you're part of this family. But what happens when you take the blood of the Lord? What family do we belong to? Descendants of Abraham. You remember that promise from long, long, long ago? When Abraham is all by himself, he's an old man, he's got an old wife, and he has no kids. No kids. And his wife is barren. And the Lord says, hey, Abraham, look up at the stars. And so Abraham looks up at the stars, and the Lord gives him a promise and says, this is what your descendants are going to be like more than the stars that you see. Have you ever looked at desert stars and, you know, there's no city lights, no anything. And you're out in the wilderness and you look up at the stars. You can see the tiniest, tiniest star. And it's like, well, imagine that promise to Abraham. When Abraham's an old man and an old wife, she's barren. He has no kids. And the Lord is saying, hey, look, your descendants are going to be like this more than these. But then you open your eyes of faith. It's like, wow, that's my family tree. Because of our belief in Jesus Christ. 
It's not a DNA that is worldly. It's a DNA that is spiritually, I'm part of this blood. You're part of this blood. It's very interesting because today I get a lot of flack for this. Hey, Jay, you know, the Bible says that we have to be like this. You know, you have to be sharing. You have to, you know, sell these possessions and give all these things and do all these things. And I get a lot of flack for that. How come you don't do this? How come you don't do that? How come you don't do this? I'll tell you what I see in the church today. And I don't mean to sound crass in saying this. But I'll tell you by experience things that I've seen inside the church today. Where a church will say, hey, you know what? We're going to have this youth fellowship. And we're going to be, you know, sharing all things and do all these things. And we're going to have community. And we're going to take the youth group and we're going to go to this campsite and we're going to do these things. We're going to spend a week there. They come back and a couple girls are now pregnant. What happened? What happened? You're telling me that you're going out and you're doing all these things? And you're, you know, claiming the word of God. You're claiming, you know, your, 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 your foundation of it is on this community. What's happening here? Or, you know, oh, this lady, she's hard up, you know, invite her to your house. And it's like, okay, come into my house. And unbeknownst to you, she's teaching the occult to your kids. She's giving drugs to your kids. Unbeknownst to you, she's giving drugs to your kids. Oh, this guy, he's hard up. You know, invite him into your house. Take him in. The Bible says you need to do this. So, you know, he goes into your house, starts to go through your things, take all these valuable items, and then he sells them and does his drugs. Oh, but the Bible says you got to do this. You got to do this. There's a disconnect. Yes, we were, you know, we're as Christians, these things are beautiful things, but never forget the wisdom of the Lord. How the Lord teaches us. For the longest time, I would wonder, like, you know, like, Lord, you're not a liar, Lord. I don't even want to suggest this. But I read your word and you promise all these things. You promise this. You say these things are good to do. And then I look inside the world and I see marriages destroyed. I see teenagers who don't want nothing to do with you. What's happening, Lord? You know, this family, they brought in this girl who was hard up, you know, almost homeless. They take in this girl. She has sex with the son. And if that wasn't bad enough, you say, okay, well, I'm going to be forgiving now. And then she has sex with your other son. Where's the disconnect? Wisdom. That's not to say that, you know, I'm not trying to sound negative towards these things. These are beautiful, beautiful concepts. But don't forget the wisdom. He says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common, shared by all, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. These are very, very beautiful concepts. You know, another thing to keep in mind, too, is the climate of what's happening in Jerusalem here. Because the climate was getting pretty heavy. The cost of being a Christian was getting pretty heavy. The Jews didn't like the Christians. The Romans didn't like the Christians. And it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. The persecution of the church. This is the early stages of it. But the wealthy people, they can move piece of cake. You talk today with people who have money, and if they have to relocate from, you know, Vancouver, Washington, if they have to relocate to Boca Raton in Florida, it's no big deal. It's a piece of cake. No big deal at all. But then you talk to poor people, and you say, hey, you know, you need to move from Vancouver, Washington, and you need to move to Florida. You know how difficult that is for poor people? They can't do that. 
So when you have this diaspora of people who are recognizing, hey, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. So you know what? We're going to move. We're leaving Jerusalem and we're going to move. Look at who stayed back. The poor people. There was a lot of poor people in Jerusalem inside the church. That's why Paul, when he's on his missionary journey and Peter, you know, they always say, hey, you know, make alms unto the Lord. Support the church, the Christians, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem need your help, need your financial help. And you see how he works? You see how the Lord works? But the cost of being a Christian was very high. And it was getting worse. Here you have in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord. Here you have this again, one accord, one mind. And it's not just, you know, Sunday Christians. Oh, let's gather just on Sundays. So continuing daily. You know how bad that is if you say, you know, here in this fellowship, we meet twice a week, Sunday and Wednesday. But then if we were to say, hey, you know what? We're going to meet three times a week. We're going to meet four times a week. Oh, we're going to pray, you know, on twice a week. We're going to do all these things. It used to trip me out so much because it's like, you know, we used to go to a big church in California. Well, not, I'd say mid-sized church, middle-sized. It wasn't huge. But on Sunday, you'd see like all these people, men, women, family, young kids, old people. But then on Wednesday... You know, I would sit in the front. You know, Liz and I, we would sit in the front. We had this old lady friend, you know, and she'd say, hey, you should grab our hands. We, I wanted to sit in the back. And she would grab our hands, grab Liz's hand, grab my hand and say, hey, come sit with me. And she had this designated place right next to her. Two seats, me and Liz. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, you know, I would look back and I would see a whole bunch of women on a Wednesday. A lot of women. I'd be like, Where are the men? Where are the guys? And then even worse, we would go to prayer meetings. And you'd look back, it's smaller, smaller crowd. And even worse, we would have like prayer meetings like in a separate room to pray for that service. It's like four people, five people. And I, it's, I, I don't say these things to shame the body, to shame any one of us. It's to say, wait a second, look what it's happening in the early church. Daily, with one accord, one mind. Not all kinds of different beliefs. Not all kinds of, yeah, I believe in homosexual marriage. Yeah, I believe in transvestite marriage. And you know, whatever feels good to you, you know, just do it. Oh, you know, don't say anything against that because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want you to melt away because you're a snowflake. Is to say, no, the word of God is going to hurt you. It will hurt you. But the Lord is very tender and gentle with us. Very tender and gentle with you. Just think of a parent who's disciplining his or her child. It's not disciplining to inflict pain. Well, it might be pain is, you know, we used to have a saying, you know, pain is a good teacher. But that was in a different circle. <laughs> Is to say, hey, you know, don't mess around with this thing. And then a little spank. And as they get older, they realize, wow, you know what? My mom didn't let me put my finger in the socket. And praise be to the Lord. But the same thing happens with the Lord. He's very gentle with you. Very gentle with me. Because he wants to teach us. You can believe in homosexual marriage. But then you're going to read the Bible. And you realize, hey, God has a problem with that. And you yield to him. And you change. You can have all these preconceived notions about whatever and you read the Bible and it's like, wow, you know what? I was wrong. Lord, forgive me. I want to yield to you. One mind, the mind of Christ. You look at the world today and the world is a mess. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. But you know what? That's where the fish are. You and me, we are fishers of men. We're called to be fishers of men. But don't forget that Satan is a fisherman too. We stand firmly on the rock of salvation and it's from here by which we fish. We cast our lines. We catch a fish and we bring them here to the word of God. Green pastures, still waters. But Satan is a fisherman too. 
don't forget that. Don't forget that Satan is a fisherman. That's why, you know, he equips us. He teaches us how to fight, how to stand, how to use the shield, how to wear the breastplate, the weapons of warfare. Because, you know, we're going to see opposition too. Physical and spiritual. I mean, it's all spiritual. But you're going to see it physically from the Romans. You're going to see it physically from the religious leaders. And you're also going to see it spiritually from demons. The demonic realm. And you're not going to see a bunch of scaredy cat Christians. You're going to see people who are faking it. And they get overtaken, overcome. But you're going to see this church that is on fire and they're standing and they're fighting. It's straight up hand-to-hand -hand combat, spiritually speaking. And so in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You see this? It's like, well, this is fellowship of the saints. It's not to say, hey, I'm going to bust into your home. I'm going to open your fridge. I'm going to eat all your food and then I'm out of there. Oh, hey, I'm going to come into your home and steal all these items so that I can sell them and then, you know, have some money to buy meth. Oh, hey, I'm going to come into your home and I'm going to teach your kids about the occult things of the demonic realm. Oh, hey, I'm going to come into your home, you know, and then you have people who have their sexual relations with all kinds the kids, the wives, the husbands, all kinds of mess. And I don't mean to be crass in bringing this up, but you know what? That's what I see today. That's what I see today. Our pastor in California always used to say, you know what? If everybody in the church, if everybody obeyed the word of God, not him, not the elders, not the deacons, not anybody. If everybody obeyed the word of God, he says, there would be no Christian counselors. There would be no counseling sessions at all. Because everybody's being obedient to the word of God. And I, when, when, he heard, when I heard him say that the first time, I was like, wow, that's pretty hardcore. What are you like? It's so mean. You hurt my feelings, you know? And then I, because, you know, I had marriage problems back in the day. And then I started to read the Bible and I was like, wow, he's so right. He's so right. If everybody yielded and submitted and was obedient to the word of God, do you know what marriages would look like? You know what ministries would look like? People say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a youth pastor. I'm a youth minister. But then they're having sex like crazy with teenagers. Men and women. What is happening? And then you have these teachers who will say, oh, this moving of the Holy Spirit, it was for that dispensation. It was for that time period. No, I don't see that at all. It's for today. It's for the here and now. But the question is, how dead am I? And how dead are you? These are some hardcore verses because, you know, it really challenges us. It just from verse 44 to verse 46, it really challenges us. Because it's like, wow, where's the disconnect in my life? Don't forget, it's a different kind of family. A different kind of DNA. A different kind of blood runs through our spiritual veins. It's the blood of our Lord. The blood of our Lord. And so look what happens here. You know, it's, uh, you know what's so cool? How in verse 46, when they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple. I love it so much because Peter, and we're, we're going to see it a little in a, a couple more verses. But Peter and John, you know, just as Jesus did when Jesus was, you know, his earthly ministry. He would go into the temple, you know, and start to teach. And it's like. Here you have the disciples doing the exact same thing, just like Jesus did. How Jesus was, you know, like the model, the example. And it's so beautiful because you can know absolutely nothing about the Bible. 
and you believe in Jesus Christ, you read a couple of verses and it's like, do what he says. Remember John the Baptist? When his, you know, John the Baptist had disciples too. And his disciples were like, hey, you know, John, what do we do? And John the Baptist didn't say, hey, you are mine. You know, you stay with me. He says, you guys, you go to him. I must decrease. He must increase in your life. You go to him. I love that so much. It's like, wow, you know, where is Jesus Christ in proximity to your heart? You know, close the gap. Don't let the proximity between your heart and the heart of our Lord be like huge. You know, close the gap. Every moment of your life, close the gap to where you can see no light between the heart of the Lord and your heart. And so look what happens here in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And you know, it's so cool because God is with them. Remember Emmanuel, God with us. God is with them. They're having favor. The Holy Spirit is moving. But opposition is coming. Opposition is coming. And the disciples, they're ready. They're more equipped. You remember Peter? What happened with Peter when opposition came? When opposition presented itself? Peter denied the Lord one time, two times, three times. And he wept bitterly. And here in the book of Acts, opposition is going to rear its ugly head again. And they're no longer scaredy cats. They're empowered with the Holy Spirit and they fight. And so you see here in verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Church here is ecclesia. Those called out. Called out and together. You say, called out of what? Well, look at verse 40. Be saved from this perverse generation. Honestly, do you really need me to tell you that we live in a perverse generation? You can say, oh, you know what? That's too hardcore. You say we live in a perverse generation, but you know what? I like watching my dirty movies. You say we live in a perverse generation, but I like my alcohol. You say it's perverse, but I like my drugs. This is a perverse generation. We live in a very, very perverse generation. What does Peter say? Be saved from this perverse generation. What do I say? Be saved from this perverse generation. Come out of this perverse generation. And that's what Ecclesia is, the church. It's people who have been called out and they're together. That's the church, the bride of Christ. And you see, in obedience to the Lord, they're doing exactly as the Lord wants them to do, being uh, 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 fishers of men. And the Lord is rewarding them. The Lord is adding to the church daily. In verse 3, or uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, we're just going to look at a couple more verses. Oh, we got a long way to go. I didn't, okay. Maybe, a little, maybe, maybe we'll finish chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John. You know, these are the two people when Mary Magdalene saw the tomb was empty. And she runs back and she says, hey guys, she goes back to the disciples, the men who were scaredy cats. She goes back and says, hey guys, I saw the Lord. He's alive. The tomb is empty. Peter and John, they book it. They run out of the house. They wanted to see with their own eyes. And John was a faster runner. John got there first. Peter gets to the tomb, except he goes inside. And sure enough, it was empty. Peter, the one who denied Jesus Christ three times. Now you see, his heart is different. What happens, you know? You know never, ever, ever lose hope. Never, ever, ever lose hope. You see people who have denied Jesus Christ. And it's like, man, it's so sad. It's so sad. Remember Peter. It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You know, the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught in the temple. So you know what? Us too. Hey, you know what? Let's go to temple. Just like Jesus did. And what do I say? What does the Bible say today? When you open up your Bible, you know, you go in your prayer closet or you sit on your couch all by yourself, no TV. You take those TV remotes and you throw them in the trash for a little while. And you open up the Bible. 
in the quietness of your heart, and then you start to read. What is it that the Lord is teaching you in those moments? You know what? All these godly people, these beautiful, beautiful heroes of Holy Scripture, faithful people, Old Testament, New Testament, young, old, male, female, the Lord did that through them. And you know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to be like that. I'm going to do that too. That's what Moses writes. Hey, you know what? This is a pattern. Just in the tabernacle, there was a pattern. You know that what we're studying on Wednesday? And Paul says the same thing. He says, hey, you guys have us as an example, as a pattern. And you can do the same thing in your life. You read the Bible. It's like, wow, you know, I'm presented with this problem. What does the Lord do here? Wow, I'm going to employ that in my life. And you're different. You start to think differently. You start to behave differently. Your speech is changing. But you know, when a person doesn't reckon the old man dead or reckon the old woman dead, what do you see? You see no change. Yeah, I used to cuss like crazy. And you know what? Today, I still cuss like crazy. Yeah, I used to do drugs. But you know what? Today, I still do drugs. Yeah, I used to do the, all these sexual things. But you know what? I still do these sexual things. It's to say, no, that guy is dead. That woman is dead. Peter and John here in verse 1 of chapter 3, they're no longer scared. You see this ministry of these beautiful women, what we studied a couple weeks ago. They weren't scared. Peter and John now, they're going straight up into the hornet's nest. Straight up. They're going to the temple. The religious leaders who killed Jesus... That's where they're going. They're going to the hornet's nest. You know, just like with Moses. You know, Moses came out of Egypt. The Lord called him out of Egypt. And he did a work with him inside the wilderness. But then when the Lord was like, you know, he was doing the work. He was teaching him. He was showing him new things. He taught him how to be a shepherd. And you know, the vessel that he used was beautiful, beautiful Zipporah. Who was a shepherd of Jethro's flocks. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Lord tells Moses, hey, Moses, you came out of Egypt, but you know what? I'm going to call you and you go back to Egypt. You're different. You're no longer the same. It's not like you're going to go back to Egypt and be an Egyptian. No, you're going to go back to Egypt. I've done my work with you and you're going to take my people out. The, the Lord does the same thing with you and me. Just like Peter, all the disciples who denied Jesus Christ, you know, they, they, you know, there was a distance. They didn't have, they didn't close the gap between them and Jesus. And they're no longer scaredy cats. They go straight up into the hornet's nest. God is with them. The Holy Spirit is inside of them, but still there is opposition. Opposition. And you know, if you... A little, you know, we're going to fast forward into the future really quick. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is when they go into the hornet's nest, Peter and John. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they had laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. They go into the hornet's nest. They're fruitful in the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. But there's still opposition. There's still opposition. And you know what? The opposition doesn't overtake them. That's what we're going to study more next week, maybe in a couple more weeks. But the opposition is there. Whenever you make a stand for the Lord, people will think you're so stupid. They'll make fun of you. The forms of opposition are palpable physically and spiritually. But that doesn't change, you know, that's the nature of the battlefield. That's the nature of the battlefield. That's why Jesus Christ, he says, count the cost. Count the cost. What will it cost you? What will it cost me to follow Jesus Christ? What will it cost you?
Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. In Luke 14, verse 25, this is what the Lord teaches. He says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, Notice all the bunch of people. That's what I love so much about John chapter 6. Because there's great, great, great multitudes of people. Thousands. At least 5,000. And in one chapter, the 5,000 becomes 12. That's what truth does. All these multitudes of people, Jesus feeds the multitudes of people. And then he goes and he walks and he stops and he turns around and he says, Hey, you guys are following me, not because you want the truth, but because you want the goodies. You like the goodies. And some people didn't like what he said and thousands left. You guys just like your bellies full. You like the presence of the Lord and not the presence of the Lord. You like the blessings of the Lord, but what about the Lord himself? And then all of a sudden, the thousands start to dwindle. Of the disciples, hundreds of disciples, you know, even they, they were like, wow, this is too difficult. I don't understand these things. You know what? I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to my old way. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read from John 6. Jesus Christ, when all the multitudes leave, there were still some of the disciples, uh, hundreds of the disciples. And then Jesus in, in chap- John chapter 6, verse 64 says, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning whom they were and, did, and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. No more. That's what truth does. You know truth more and more. Yes, Lord, I believe this. But then you turn the page and it's like a knife in your heart. And it's to say, wow, Lord, I'll walk with you this far, but not not further because I, I can't accept that. Don't do that. Keep going. The Lord is doing a work inside of you. He is teaching you new things. Not new things in accordance with the world, but new things in accordance with the word of God. And he's showing you these things. All these things being spiritually discerned. And the Lord Jesus Christ says this in Luke 14 to the multitudes. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his father and mother, wife and children... Brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. That's a hardcore verse. What do you mean? I have to hate my mom. I have to hate my dad. My, you know, all these people that you know that have my uh, DNA, my uh, my gene, gene uh, uh, my my blood, my bloodline. And the Lord is saying he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine? I mean, like, what if I said, yes, Lord, I love you, but I love my wife more than you. And I'm not trying to paint Liz in a bad picture. I love my wife. I adore my wife. The woman that I wanted to kill and murder, the woman that I almost did murder. But the Lord stopped me. Now I adore her. He changed my mind. He changed my heart. I adore her. But then what happens if I say, you know, Lord, your word says this, but you know what? I'm going to listen to my wife instead of listening to you. Don't do that. That's what a lot of people do. Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. I know your word says this, but I'm going to take the advice from, you know, this counselor who's beating on his wife and cheating on his wife. Oh, you know, Lord, I know your word says this, but I'm going to listen to this pastor who also has, you know, five different ladies he has in the church. Or no, I'm going to listen to this elder who is, you know, on drugs. He does his drugs all the time. Don't do that. 
And the Lord is saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower or a castle does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish? And the Lord starts to teach us more and more. What do you mean count the cost? Well, you know, say you have X amount of dollars and you want to, you know, build whatever. It's not to say that, okay, I can lay the foundation. I have enough money for concrete, but I don't have enough money for, you know, wood. Well, you can't build a house. That's what the Lord is saying here. Hey, count the cost first. Remember, it cost Jesus Christ his life when he carried his cross. It cost him his life, his instrument of death. And he says, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know what I say? Finish well. It's a piece of cake to, you know, if you have a marathon, you know how easy it is to, you know, to dress like you're an athlete, put on some shorts, you know, running shorts, you know, running shirt, put the number on your chest, the number on your back, wear a bandana, or you're hardcore, you wear little, the wrist ones too. Or you're super hardcore, you know, put some like, you know, the ankle ones. And it's like, wow, okay, I'm ready to go. You know, you're all jazzed up. You talk a good talk. The gun goes off. Everybody starts running. You run for like five steps and you have to walk. I can't run. That's what the Lord is saying here. Count the cost. The starting line, piece of cake. I'm talking about the finish line. Forget the starting line. The starting line is beautiful. But for you and for me, the starting line already happened. Now what about the finish line? Finish well. Finish well. He says again, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. You know, it's like a so-called warrior. Somebody could wear the garb, you know, they have the helmet, they have the weapons. But then when the fight comes, it's revealed that he's chicken. He's a scaredy cat. He's not a warrior at all. That's what happens here in verse 31 when he says this king is going to war against another king who has not counted the cost. And so, you know, he's going to war. The other war is coming. So he's going to war. And instead of, you know, preparing for battle, he sends a delegation and says, hey, ask for conditions of peace. Of peace. I don't want to fight anymore. Scaredy cats. Everybody's a tough guy. Everybody's a tough guy. But, you know, when the bullets start flying, a lot of things are going to be revealed. Who are the brave? Who are the courageous? That's what happens when we fear man over fearing God. Yeah, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings. You have this sin in your life, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. So you know what? It's okay. I'm not going to say anything to hurt your feelings. That's compromise. Compromise. What happens when the fight comes? You, we're living in a generation where we don't have to go after a fight. We don't have to go and seek a fight. The fight is coming to us. In our homes, in our families, in our workplaces. And who's going to make a compromise? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I'm not going to say anything against whatever because I don't want to hurt your feelings. You know, I don't want to sound like a jerk. I don't want to sound overly abrasive. But the word of God is, you know, it hurts feelings. It's very abrasive, very, very offensive. This is an offensive book. Because that's what truth does inside of you and inside of me. That's what truth does. 
Do I say, you know, Lord, I want to hold on to my crack so bad. I want to hold on to my alcohol so bad. And instead of letting go and yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I say, okay, Lord, no thanks. I'm going to hold on to this. Person, place, whatever it is, thing. Lord, I know your word says this, but you know what? I love this person more. I love this thing more. That's not good. It's not good. And, you know, as lovingly as I possibly can, if that is a situation where you ever find yourself in as lovingly as possible for me, I'll say, cut it out. Cut it out. You know, yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I don't say this as, hey, you ought to do this. I say this as, hey, I did this too. I used to play games with the Lord. I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And the Lord messed me up majorly to the point where it's like, okay, Lord, I'm done playing games. You know what? I'm going to be hardcore for you, Lord. I don't care about people. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, you know, the Lord started to teach. I shouldn't say the Lord started to teach. The Lord gave me ears. The Lord gave me eyes. He says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? The only way for salt to lose its flavor is a process of dissolution. Dissolution happens with water, when it's watered down. Have you ever gone to a movie? You know, you go to the movie and you say, hey, give me a Coke. And they give you a Coke, you know, and it's got all this this ice in it. And you go and sit down as the previews and you take a drink. It's like, wow, this tastes like Coke. The previews are over. You take another sip. It's like, what is this? It doesn't even taste like Coke because the ice is melted. It's watered down. That's what the Lord is saying. When salt has lost its flavor. He says it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. Pretty hardcore words from our Lord. But man, throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what the Lord is saying. Hey, count the cost. When you close the gap of your heart between your heart and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, whenever you close that gap, people will hate you. When daylight can be seen between the heart of the Lord and your heart, you'll have all kinds of friends. People will love you. Yeah, let's go to the strip club. Okay, cool. Let's go to the strip club. Yeah, let's do this crack. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Let's go do this crack. Okay, yeah, I'm going to do this crack. But you cannot call Jesus Lord if that's the case. Because he's not Lord in your life. But when you say, no thanks. No thank you. Instead of you go doing your crack, instead of you going to the strip club, why don't you come with me on Sunday at 11? Why don't you come with me on Wednesday at 7? Come with me. And the closer your heart is to the heart of the Lord, people will hate you. You will have mockers. But you know what? Who cares, you know? There's a different kind of fellowship. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. One accord. One accord in the apostles' doctrine. And it's not to say, hey, what about the doctrine of the Bible? It's not to say, like, there's the apostles' doctrine. It places heavy value on the apostles because instead of being over here, no, these guys are right here with the heart of the Lord. The fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And it says in verse 46 in Acts chapter 2, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Nobody's saying, hey, let me come to your house. You know what? And I'm going to have sex with your daughters. Hey, let me come to your house and I have sex with your sons. Somebody says, yeah, come into my house. You know, I'm going to defile your son. And if that's not bad enough, I'm going to defile your other son. Yeah, let me come into your house. You know what? And I'm going to introduce your kids to drugs. That's what you see in the church today. And you know what? It pains me to say that. It pains me to say that. 
what will it cost you? What will it cost me to close the gap between my or between our hearts and the heart of Jesus Christ? What will it cost? It's going to cost something. Just like we read in Luke 14. But turn with me in closing. In closing to Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, in closing, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says this to the church. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now look at chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. You see, it's to say, it's not to say, hey, these things of the principles, it's, it's not to say, hey, it's nothing. It's to say, use that as a foundation to move on, to grow that's what's happening in the book of Acts, what we read in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, when you see Peter and John. They've left the elementary principles, and they're moving on, and the Lord is using them, the Lord is blessing them, and the Lord is doing a mighty work, even in the face of opposition. Physically, and you know, we're going to see spiritually too. So we're going to end our study here. <clears throat>